0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming and checking this out. My name is Philip Mona. This is going to be my first episode of my NFL podcast. I have a few talking points that I want to go over, but first I'm going to get a little background intro to me. I'm 21 years old, currently enrolled in college. Um, I haven't started taking any classes for sports journalism, but that's what I'm going to try for. You know, things change. Life is crazy, so you never know what's going to happen. I've, you know, put it, a little bit of effort towards a couple of different things but right now that's what I want to do so we're gonna uh, see how it goes but this is kind of unrelated to that because I just really love talking about football and um, I watch a lot if you know me you know how much I spend time on football whether it's uh, you know just sitting around on Sundays watching every single game I can um, watching highlights going breaking down film um, you know playing Madden which if you know me, you know I've spent a lot of time on that, and um, I think there's definitely some good information to be gleaned from that. But, anyways, my background: I played football. I started out in seventh and eighth grade. I played on a pop Warner team called Wildcats. Didn't really start. I'm um, fast, so you know they threw me in there for a couple of tight end sweeps. I got two touchdowns. I actually, at that point, you know, I'd been so new to football. I was holding the ball wrong. So normally, you're supposed to have the ball in one point in your hand, and then kind of the other corner tucked in your elbow. Well, I was holding it like up and down. So I probably looked something along the lines of like Forrest Gump, as far as how new I was on the football field. But but that was my beginning there. I played. Um, I skipped my freshman year because I wanted to try out high school and not be kind of overwhelmed with any practices and stuff like that. But then I played my sophomore year and I had a blast. I really was a big fan of my coach. He's a really smart guy. You know, I was tight with a couple of the guys on the team. We you know, we were really, we were good. I think we went six and two. I started at safety for all the games except for the last one. You know, if you were on my team, you know that I can't catch for shit. So it's just funny. They called me Stone Hands, which was totally deserved. You know, I didn't really put in the time because I didn't really, I liked watching football, but I didn't really understand the preparation and work that it took to be actually good as a player but anyways and that my junior year I ended up playing didn't really start I ended up quitting towards the end of the year because I had a disagreement with my coach who ended up being fired just shortly after that so that's pretty much it as far as my football background as a player throughout the entire time even if I didn't have the experience I felt that I really understood what was going on and the more that I learned about it the more that I wanted to talk about it and really understand what things are because like if you ask like my sister Miranda what's going on in football she just sees a bunch of guys running into each other which which is what it is but there's a lot more that goes into it I like to compare it to chess which is for me really interesting because there's a lot of strategy involved my favorite teams first and foremost I'm a Buffalo Bills fan I lived in Buffalo for 12 years I'm second favorite team is going to be the Cleveland Browns because I was born in Cleveland. And both teams are very similar because they both suck for the majority of the past two decades, if not longer. Both fan bases are kind of built around cities that don't really have much going on aside from sports, so you have a lot of passionate fans, which I like. I love the close knit community. If you've ever gone to a game in Cleveland or Buffalo, you know what I'm talking about. That just—I mean—you don't see anybody that's not wearing a jersey or some kind of representation of their team. And you can kind of greet everybody by, you know, go Bills, especially in Buffalo, or Browns for Cleveland, obviously. But not just those two teams. I really love football in general, so with that, I'm a fan of all teams a little bit. There's at least one player that I like of all teams, and if I don't like their team, there's some teams that I hate, but I still try to be objective, and um, even if it's just one player on their team that I can be a fan of, I just try to be a fan of the game, honestly. So my inspirations for this podcast were one, because like I said, you know, I love talking about football. I'm a big fan. But another thing that really kind of drives me crazy is you know, you go on tune into ESPN or Fox Sports One. You have like Undisputed with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, which is highly entertaining. You first things first, Nick Wright. You have shows like The Herd with Colin Cowherd, who's really good most times, I think. Then you have youtube channels like strong opinion sports with zach schomler who i really really like he's super good he keeps it real 100 um so when i talk about people that don't really have integrity he doesn't fall into that but sometimes you know undisputed and uh, first things first are really what i mean when i talk about that so you watch these things and a lot of times it's really just clickbait or if it's not you know online you're watching in person it's just like They just bring up dumb things that don't really matter, and it's less based off of analytics and more about just opinions that spark controversy, which for me is frustrating because a lot of times these opinions have really nothing to do with the players themselves, um, but more to do with outlying factors that just really don't affect anything um, as far as the player, how they play, or their performance and stuff like that, which really bothers me. And specifically, the other day I was watching um, Undisputed, and... It was it was a few weeks ago. It was when the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers faced the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and because Aaron Donald didn't record a sack in that game, Skip Bayless uh, and you can look it up, he was saying that you know Aaron Donald really isn't that good, which to me is the most laughable statement you could make uh, about pro football in general. Because if you literally know any one thing about the game, it's that he is really really good, and it's not a conversation. As a defensive tackle, he gets. Twelve sacks a year, pretty much guaranteed. If he's not double teamed, he's triple teamed. He's just a freak, and it's stuff like that that gets to me because it's like you're on TV, you're on national television. You should have some sort of integrity to kind of speak even objective truth. I mean, that that could be an opinion, but it's just it's it's just wrong. Um, and there are definitely some opinions out there that are wrong that you know I'll bring up. But um, another inspiration for this podcast is my cousin Anthony. Um, he started his own podcast with a couple of his friends. It's called the No Filter League. I recommend you check it out. It's pretty good. He's a funny guy. Um, They're all up in Canada. They talk about a couple of different sports that branch outside of just football, which is all I'm going to talk about here because uh, I don't like to talk about things I don't know. And um, football is really, as far as sports, all I can say that I confidently know through and through. With all that said, I think that I'm going to call this podcast Tell It Straight because that's what I'm going to try to do here. Not just my opinions, but based off of some analytics, you know, whether it's NFL game pass, watching the 22 coaches film, um, or just what I see when I watch the, watch the game from the fan perspective and listening to the announcers commentate and stuff like that. Um, and you know, just rewatching and stuff. And that's what I'm going to do. So with that, let's hit it. Welcome guys to my first episode like i said appreciate you checking it out so i'm actually doing this over the course of a couple of days because i got lazy didn't set enough uh time aside to do this so um if the sound you know is not perfect my editing is just gonna take some work to to get to where it needs to be um but aside from that i'm just gonna kind of start out here it's monday uh, Wild Card Weekend just wrapped up. Some crazy games. I really was blown away from a couple of them. Didn't really expect. I would have, I'm glad that I didn't make a prediction video because they would have all been wrong and that would have made me look bad. But also predictions, you know, you can't really expect to uh, always hit on those. But anyways, um, one thing I want to talk about for starters is if I say that like someone sucks or something like that, I just want to clarify this before. There's no player that really sucks, truly, because... They're in the NFL. So no matter what they've done so far, I mean, you can be, there's plenty of college players that like were really exceptional in college. For example, like Tim Tebow, arguably the greatest college football player of all time, just didn't play well in the NFL. Some people don't adjust well. But if I say a player sucks, that's not entirely true, but they're just playing bad and it can be frustrating. So a lot of times that, you know, I'll just kind of throw that out casually, but I just want to clear that up beforehand. The first thing I want to talk about today is evaluating quarterbacks. And a couple, I mean, one reason why I wanted to bring that up is because, so the Ravens yesterday, big game for them because it was this whole, there was this whole narrative around Lamar that, like, you know, he's won an MVP, he's made all these regular season, just insane accomplishments for such a young player, but can he win a playoff game? Because, I mean, Peyton Manning had that stigma for a while, super good in the regular season, couldn't really finish in the playoffs. But the thing that you have to realize when you're evaluating quarterbacks, young quarterbacks or otherwise, is there's so many other factors that go into winning in the playoffs or just winning in general. And it's there's you can't just narrow it down to one thing. That's so simple. And life is more complicated than that. Football especially is more complicated than that. So I hate when I see stuff like that because those stats, there's just more that goes into it. Unless that player is truly the reason that's bringing the team down, which in some cases is true. Lamar did not, for example, didn't play great in his, you know, few playoff appearances so far. But anyways, there's, there's other things you have to look for when you're evaluating quarterbacks, specifically rookies. So I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, which I mentioned earlier. And obviously Josh Allen is one of my favorite quarterbacks, if not my favorite quarterback. And when he first came out, he was super raw. At most everybody kind of knew that. There were some argued that he would go higher in the draft than he was pick seventh overall um, because he was so physically talented. But for whatever reason, all these analysts wanted to come out and say that Josh Allen's trash after his rookie season. And there's other quarterbacks that have had, you know, just started out and say they were trash. I mean, for instance, Jared Goff started out, had a really tough season. He's another good example, actually. And like I said, there's so much more that goes into it because you have to look at some things that, you know, really can add up to a quarterback playing well or not well. One, I mean, you got coaching. Coaching is huge. If you have a player that's not using, if you have a coach that's not elevating a player's talents, that's one thing. But you also have to maximize their strengths. That's one of the big things in coaching. That's why Bill Belichick is one of the greatest of all times, because he's taken players. You're like, what? Who is that? I'm sorry, I, I don't know his name. Is he's he's an NFL player? No, I wouldn't know him. And then you have those kind of guys, and they're making plays left and right because you have coaches that in New England that'll use their players to maximize what they do well and minimize what they don't do well. So that's one thing that'll, for instance, for quarterbacks will make make or break. Um, you know, this coaching scheme, what You know what they do um, to make them better or worse. Two was weapons. And I'm going to, again, come back to Josh Allen as an example. Because this rookie year, I think his number one receiver was Calvin Benjamin, uh, who's no longer in the NFL. You have uh, Robert Foster, I think was his number two, no longer a starting receiver in the NFL. The only reason why he was starting for the Bills is because they had literally no other options. Who was an undrafted free agent wide receiver. And... Then I think the third, I can't think of his name right now, but he was just an old veteran receiver who was really slow. I'll, I'll look it up and come back to that. But there's just, and also the offensive line. So, I mean, like, that's huge for a quarterback. If you don't have an offensive line, you're just not going to last at all. There's been plenty of good teams. The Cleveland Browns last year, for example, I mean, you had OBJ, you have Jarvis Landry, you have... Um, so, I mean, everyone was talking about how the Browns were supposed to have super aspirations. Well, the thing is, if you don't have a good offensive line, their tackles last year were absolutely garbage. I mean, the coaching was bad too. Don't get me wrong. Freddie Kitchens definitely derailed their season for sure, but it's not that simple. It's like, oh, that guy can't win a playoff game. Well, you know, you have to have other things that go into it that add up to a player being good in the playoffs or in general, exactly like I'm saying. So there's that. Um, I kind of, along those lines, I wasn't going to talk about this till later, but I might as well bring it up now. Ben Roethlisberger. So, the Steelers lost last night. They got blown out by the Browns early. Um, they made a little bit of an effort to come back into the game, but ultimately the Browns still won. Uh, so, there's, I, I guess I'll go over that game now because there's a lot to unwrap there. But, for one thing, I I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, Cleveland Browns fan. I love nothing more than to see the Browns win a playoff game. That's huge. Their fan base has struggled for so long. I can't really take credit for being part of the struggling fan base for so long because I started watching football in 2012, uh, basically, and um, I didn't really you know, pay attention to them for so long when they were struggling. If they did bad, I would kind of observe their team, but I wasn't really too emotionally invested in it like I am for the Bills. But the Browns beat the Steelers last night. Give credit, obviously, you have to give credit to the Browns. They came out, they played amazing from the beginning of the game. I'm not going to downplay the Browns that, like I said, really good effort. You had some uh, bulletin board material with Juju Smith-Schuster saying some dumb shit before the game, which you just don't do. Eric Ebron talks a lot of trash, too, for having dropped a ton of passes this season. But anyways, the Steelers really just completely fell off the rails this season, and a big reason I believe that to be is coaching. And Mike Tomlin, don't get me wrong, great coach. He took last year a team without Ben Roethlisberger when he got injured and took them to an 8-8 eight and eight season when a lot of players and analysts thought that they really were just going to drop right off after Roethlisberger got hurt. But this season, they really got away from what the Steelers have been known to do. And you'll probably hear some, excuse me, some analysts talk about that, but... The Steelers have been known in the past for being just a tough, gritty team. They're just going to out-physical you. That's Pittsburgh football. You know, run the ball. You have some—I mean, back when they had Antonio Brown, it'd be play-action shots over the top with his big play receivers. Ben Roethlisberger early in his career with, like, Heinz Ward um, or Mike Wallace. But Ben Roethlisberger is an exceptional deep ball thrower. And I was just so shocked this year to see them really not attempt a lot of deep balls. I mean, for example, Chase Claypool, when he first came out this season, he was playing great. He was leading all rookies in touchdown receptions, and he was getting some comparisons to um, Calvin Johnson, also known as Megatron, who was uh, just insane receiver for the Lions for a bunch of years. And Megatron, the name is associated with just like big physical play. Just run past you if you let me. Um, if you think you're going to play close, I'll just beat you deep. Or... If you're playing tight, I'm just going to catch the ball over you because I'm huge. Chase Claypool, I think he's like 6'3 or 6'4 or something like that. May even be taller. Just a huge guy. And as the season went on, it seemed like the Steelers just shied away from throwing deep. And it didn't seem to me as though Roethlisberger wasn't able to do that as much as they just didn't really take those deep shots. Which, again, I just was so shocked to see their offense became around like a short passing game. Which can be effective. Rothisberger was leading the league in um, shortest amount of time between snap to throw, which is good for an aging quarterback because you don't want him taking a lot of hits. But it's almost like it was super weird to me. And one one thing I thought of was that if you took Tom Brady and put him in Pittsburgh and took Ben Rothisberger and put him down back with Bruce Arians, who used to be the coordinator for the Steelers in Tampa, I think that both teams would have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl than they do how they are now. Because Tom Brady has made his living in the NFL, as a pretty much death-by-a-million-cuts quarterback. He'll just just over and over, underneath routes, ins, ins and outs, within 10 to 15 yards. And then you try to sit down, and then all of a sudden play action deep shot over um, with Gronk or whoever. They've had numerous receivers over the years that, that have been able to take the top off. But it's just so shocking to me that the Steelers have— kind of gotten away from throwing deep because Ben Roethlisberger has been so good at that for so many years and it's associated usually with him like throwing somebody off of him or him breaking a sack. But he doesn't always, I mean, if you can get a clean pocket, he doesn't really have to take those hits. Yeah, it's more likely you're going to take a hit if you hold onto the ball to try and throw it deep. But you have to be willing to take that risk to be able to, to make touchdowns in the NFL. I mean, you want to make big plays. That's as a passing offense. If that's what you're going to design your game around, you have to take those shots And it just was super surprising to me that they didn't scheme more around that. Um, Another thing that I also found a little bit entertaining, coming back to the Juju Smith-Schuster comment, um, because he said uh, before the game, it's the same old Browns. I don't really know a lot of the players. They're all kind of gray faces to me. And um, yeah, the Browns are just the Browns. Basically saying that the because the Browns have been pretty bad, um, to say the least, throughout the past few years, that... They're just going to be that seamol team. So that the fact that the Steelers just got beat in every phase of the game, out physical was super funny because now Juju kind of has to eat his words and he looks like a tool along with the TikTok stuff, which I'm not going to get into because you can hear that from every other, you know, sports commentator everywhere. But yeah, I just really didn't think they used Big Ben to his highest potential this year because you know he's just so good at throwing the ball deep and they have some guys that can really. You know, I mean, James Washington, even, like, I think he's, like, their fourth receiver. I remember last year when they were facing the Browns with Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph just chucked it up to him. And he ma- he lost like, Denzel Ward. I mean, like, they're just really good at tracking the ball deep. Uh, they have, I mean, in the beginning of the year, we were talking about the Steelers having one of the deepest receiving rosters in the NFL. Um, I mean, obviously, they had a period of time where they had the drops during the middle of the season. But you just have to, I mean, you have to be more aggressive. I just was so... Shocked. And then yesterday, when the uh, Browns are facing the Steelers in the wild card round, it seemed like they just kind of wanted to get back to running the football. Which, another thing, if the run game hasn't been working all season out of the formations they've been running, which have been pretty much a lot of three receivers, one tight end sets, bring the tight ends in. Get us some heavier personnel packages and try and run the football. I mean, I know they don't have. They might have had somebody get hurt. I know Jesse James used to be on the roster. I'm not sure if he's still there with the Steelers. I mean, Eric Ebron's a good tight end. They lost Roosevelt Nix, who was their fullback, who they really liked a lot. He was good in special teams, but also a really good run blocker. But you have another Watt brother. Not TJ Watt. There's another—I think it's Derek Watt is their fullback. And he's been used—fullbacks like really aren't used anymore in the NFL. That's pretty much a commonly known thing. Um, it's very—it's a few teams. I mean, the Ravens utilize a lot of fullbacks, Um, the Niners, because they run the ball a lot with uh, Kyle check blocking for them. But you just have to get back to, I mean, if you can't run the ball, you, you got to establish that, especially in the playoffs. It's so huge to be able, if you have a lead, run the clock out, or if it's just those short down and distances, you got to be able to run the ball. You can't expect, there's so many things that can go wrong passing. You can get bad at passes if you're trying to throw it short. Which happened yesterday. I mean, there was a batted pass, and it, the Browns' DN laid out and picked it off. And I mean, that was probably like the second or third interception in that game. But I mean, you're just putting too much. You never want your quarterback. If your quarterback's attempting 50 passes, and his name isn't Patrick Mahomes, that's a problem because you just you need to have some sort of balance because you're just eventually it's just not sustainable. It's just, and it's proven in the NFL. You shouldn't be attempting that many passes. And if you are, you're probably not winning the games or you're in a shootout, and that should be rare because if you're getting in shootouts that often, your defense is probably bad. So, yeah, just really, really shocked. Don't get me wrong, elated, the Browns won. I'm so happy to see the Browns. Their fans deserve it so much. They've been through so much. Um, the Steelers, I have a hard time feeling bad for. Her. I mean, they got like six rings or whatever, so I think their fans can, you know, survive a little bit. Also, they talk a lot of trash. Steelers fans do, from my experience, so I'm really uh, I'm cool with them losing. You know, it is what it is. It's football. Teams can't stay on top forever. It's obvious the Patriots kind of just fell off recently. So I actually kind of like that a little bit, that there's some teams that have been dominating over the past few years that are kind of starting to give way to some newer up-and-coming teams. Browns and Ravens last year um, won the division. Not both teams. I mean, the Ravens did last year, and the Browns worked really close this year, even though the Steelers ended up winning the division. But it looks – I mean, the Steelers have a bunch of free agents – coming up this offseason so they got some big decisions to make ben roethlisberger might retire so you know there's a lot of sway that's going to happen there and we'll see what happens it's good to see like the bills taking over for their division as the leaders and the rams i don't i think the seahawks might have won the division but the rams ended up knocking them off in the playoffs so it's just cool i like to see different teams be good you know it's it's kind of it gets a little boring when you just see one team dominate for so long It's, it's impressive and there's Things that go into that that are cool to watch because it, it's just really difficult to have sustained success. Excuse me, sustained success like that in the NFL. But it's just it's just cool to see. Another thing I want to talk about is with the playoffs. You did, like I said, wild card recap just got wrapped up. There's some different formulas to win in the playoffs. One reason why I and a lot of other people wouldn't have picked the Browns yesterday is because their defense, I mean, you had a ton of, first of all, their head coach was out with COVID. That will, you know, just pretty much wrap up a team right there. So super big props to them for being able to kind of overcome that adversity. There's just things that you need to do in the playoffs that will allow you to win. You pretty much have to be able to run the football at some point during the game. Whether it's with a big lead, you need to run the clock out, or like I said, short yard situations when the other team knows you're going to run the ball and you have to pick it up if that's what you choose to do, to run it then, you know, in those situations, you got to be able to do that. You have to play situational defense. I mean, you can't be giving up chunk plays. Your defense has to be solid. You know, bad... There's teams with just insanely good offenses that have gone to the playoffs, and they'll lose because they just can't stop other offenses. A good example of that would be the Falcons versus Patriots Super Bowl. Falcons offense, you know, that was the year Matt Ryan won the MVP. Super good. Julio Jones, just... Obviously, they could do whatever they want. Kyle Shanahan was the coach at that point, so you had just a ridiculously good passing offense because Kyle Shanahan's just such a genius uh, as a head coach. But their defense sucked, and Tom Brady, you know, 28-3 came back on them because they couldn't stop him. You know, there's some teams that play good at the lead as far as defense. If they're not good at stopping the run, usually they can kind of if queue off if you have a big lead as far as rushing the passer and stuff like that. But... Yeah, I mean, you need those things to win playoff games. Um, usually special teams, you know, you have to have solid special teams if you're getting your punts blocked or you're giving up kick-return touchdowns or you can't hit a field goal in the crucial seconds of the game. That's important to win in the playoffs. So with that, I think it's going to be super interesting, the Chiefs and Browns game next week, because the Browns offense, or specifically the offensive line, just dominated the Steelers yesterday. And I was so shocked by that, especially because... It was early, I think it was somewhere between week, it might have been week three or week five or something like that, the uh, the Browns faced the Steelers earlier this season. And they just got absolutely dominated. I mean, the you had some players missing for the Steelers, don't get me wrong. Bud Dupree, I think he tore his ACL. Um, one of their linebackers, uh, Bush, he got he was out for the season. So they had, uh, and I think the backup outside linebacker for Bud Dupree got hurt a little bit too. It was like Highsmith, I think is his name. Son Cassius Marsh came in, who's bounced around from a couple teams. Uh, a situational pass rusher, not somebody you want to have on the field long-term. So the Browns were able to take advantage there as far as the depleted front seven for the Steelers. But this will be super interesting to see for the Chiefs and the Browns because the Browns, there's there's a specific formula, in my opinion, that it's going to take for them to win this game. If it turns into a shootout, they're not going to be able to keep up with Kansas City, especially with OBJ out. And Baker didn't particularly play well with OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. if you're not familiar with him he was a receiver that was drafted really like I think he was like top 10 by the Giants played a couple of seasons there didn't work out because the Giants sucked and he's a big competitor so he asked for a trade got traded to Cleveland and he hasn't been exceptional in Cleveland so far he's been good not up to his standards that he set. I think he records as a rookie with the Giants um, and so he hasn't really been that record setting player st- still with the Browns mostly for I mean, for a couple of different reasons that I'm not going to get into right now. So, without him, the Browns' offense is very limited. And they kind of got exposed earlier this season a little bit by the Ravens in that aspect because their corners. I mean, the Ravens have a really deep secondary. Brother Humphrey's really good. Um, Marcus Peters is really good. Um, Jimmy Smith is solid. Some, I mean, their safeties can play too. They got a great coaching staff over there for their defense. So, the Ravens' defense is usually always pretty stout. But they were pretty limited as far as passing the ball because. The Ravens just matched up really well with them, and the Chiefs. I mean, everybody knows the Chiefs are insane. Travis Kelsey, the fact that he—I think it was reception—if it was reception yards, in which I believe it was—is just disgusting. He was like top three receiving yards. That's as a tight end. That's just not fair. Like he's so unreal. That like between him and Patrick Mahomes, like what a combination. I, I you, you can't say enough about the Chiefs. The fact that the Chiefs. It's just they don't get talked about as much anymore. It's because people get bored of hearing about them. But you just can't emphasize enough how stupidly good they are. And it's just not fair um, for most other teams. So if they come out motivated, I think they're going to blow the Browns out of the water. But there's a path for the Browns to win. And that's going to be similar to the way it was with the Steelers. They're going to need turnovers, opportunistic defense, tip balls, got to come down with them. They did versus the Steelers. They forced Ben into like three picks. And once you get a lead, sometimes quarterbacks get flustered. Patrick Mahomes kind of has that it factor, so he doesn't really get flustered like Big Ben appeared to be yesterday. Also, he's not old playing in cold weather. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see. But I mean, Tyree Kill, probably the fastest man in the world. Miko Hardman. Also stupid fast, Sammy Watkins, former like top five pick. He went to the Bills, and even though it didn't work out there, he's still a really, really good receiver. So if it comes to a shootout, uh, I think the Browns. You know they have Jarvis Landry, who's more of a slot receiver. They have Rashard Higgins, who's not exceptionally good at any one thing. He's not really a good route runner. He's not a really good run blocker. He's not going to catch the ball over you. But for whatever reason, he just has a really good connection with Baker Mayfield. Daryl Hodge, I think, is another one of the receivers for Cleveland. He was out with COVID, so I'm not sure if he'll be back for the next game. But without OBJ, it's, they're not going to compete with KC in a shootout. So the path for them to win is going to be, like I said, opportunistic defense, and they're going to have to run the, fo- run the football and control the clock. And that plays to their strengths because their offensive line, like I said, dominated the Steelers, who had a pretty formidable front seven. So that was shocking um, as I've gone over. So... If the Browns do win, it'll be because they kind of kept it a lower scoring game. You know, if the if the score if KC scores over I'm going to say like 35 points and that might even be a little bit generous. If they score maybe even like 28. I mean, the Browns have put up 40 points in the past few weeks um, on multiple occasions. So it's not that the Browns can't score, but the Browns aren't going to score in a rapid pace. If you get on them early, it's probably going to be over because at that point you can just rush the passer. You kind of know what they're doing. You can because teams have to get away from running the football if they're down by multiple possessions. And the Browns' strength is their offensive line. They have uh, well, hopefully Joe botonio will come back. He's out with COVID, but they have a really good rookie. Their left tackle Jedrick, uh, Jedrick Wills, I think is his name. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Then you have. Wyatt Teller, who was former Bill, actually really pissed me off when they traded him for like a fifth round pick because he's now arguably the best guard in the NFL, playing right guard. And you have Jack Conklin, who was another if if not the best tackle in the um, NFL at right tackle, second or third best. Really, really good offensive line. J.C. Treader is their center; he's really solid too. So their line is really overall just pretty stacked, which has played into Baker Mayfield playing so well recently. Like I said, compared to their Offensive line last year, um, they definitely shored that up, and that's allowed him to be as good as he is. Along with the combination of head coach Kevin Kevin Stefanski, excuse me, coming in and putting down some good scheme for them to maximize their strength, which is what a good coach does. So that game is going to be really interesting. But I'm not actually going through predictions right now. But I maybe I will in uh, the next episode or later on. But I just I just kind of want to touch on that game because the formulas to win for certain teams depends on your strength. Um, the Ravens, another team, they're not going to come back and win. I'm pretty sure Lamar is like I, – I have to find the stats somewhere because um, I've seen it before, but I couldn't find it. I have a hard time digging up statistics because I get bored easy. Lamar is like – his record is like super negative. It's like 2-10 or something like that when trailing at halftime because he's just not somebody who's going to throw you back into the game. If you can take away the run game for the Ravens, they're pretty much – Done because Lamar is just, you know, there it was a kind of a joke where you'd see a lot of people on social media saying Lamar is a running back. He's pretty much a running back at quarterback. Don't get me wrong, he obviously can throw the ball. I'm not saying that he can't, but if you force him to throw and make on schedule throws, he's not going to keep you in the game and he'll probably turn the ball over a few times. So I'm really interested to see what the Bills Ravens do this next week in the divisional matchup because, you know, if McDermott's a really good head coach, he's a really good defensive mind. If he takes away the run game for the Ravens, look out. <laughs> Lamar is not going to look good. Um, when they faced last year, he forced Lamar into one of his uh, worst games of the season because, again, he, just not, he doesn't always make the right read. He's developing as a quarterback. He's still young. So he probably has a lot of improvement to make as a passer. So I'm not saying that forever he's going to be the way he is right now. But right now, if you take away the Ravens' run game and you put them in a hole down one or two possessions, they're going to fold. They're just not a team that's going to keep up in a shootout situation. Like I said, so formulas to win. So if you're Kansas City and you have a really good offense and just an average defense, you can pretty much hang around all game. The run game is good enough to keep them in games. That's why they're a favorite to win the Super Bowl is because their defense has stepped up enough that they... Don't have to constantly like, oh my gosh, we're never going to get the ball back. Their defense will you know, make a few stops when they need to. They're not going to give up ridiculously huge chunk gains. Uh, I think the Saints a few years ago were a good example of a team with a really, really good offense, and their defense was just abysmal. Drew Brees, I felt bad for him because during his prime years, the defense really sucked for them, and he was just an exceptional—he's been super, super good, guaranteed pretty much for the last decade of his career, almost 5,000 yards a season, like— Just You know what's going to happen, but recently as he's gotten older, his arm strength has kind of dwindled, and you can see he's not delivering the ball from the field like he used to. But So there's different formulas to win for different teams. If you're a running football team, you want to control the clock, you want to get a little bit of a lead early if you can, so that's going to be critical for the Browns versus Chiefs. If the Bills get a lead, they have a really good passing offense. It's going to be tough to pass um, in the conditions in January in Buffalo, so I'll be interested to see what happens there with the Ravens and Bills. Because the Ravens also have a pretty good pass defense and a decent pass rush. Calais Campbell's really good in the D line. Dirk Wolf is really good. Matthew Judon is really good. Um, Yannick Ngakwe, they got a trade from Jacksonville. He's a good outside rusher. So they have a they have a really deep D-line there in Baltimore. So that'll be that'll be a good game to watch. So another thing coming back to coaching is that you notice so a few weeks ago, Anthony Lynn got fired. And one thing that I realized between that and a couple other different coaching situations, is that you can be a really good offensive coordinator and just be an awful head coach. And I don't know what what it takes to kind of make a good OC turn into a good coach, because I've seen that plenty of times. I mean, Hugh Jackson, like I said, been a fan of the Browns for a while. And when Hugh Jackson took over as their head coach, he just was not good. I think they went 1-31 um in two seasons under his... Uh, under his leadership. And I was really surprised because when he was in Cincinnati, their offense was really good. I mean, Andy, Andy Dalton had a near MVP season in 2015. And they off. I mean, you had A.J. Green there and some other weapons that uh, elevated that roster to be able to do what they did in that time. But Hugh Jackson, everyone talked about Hugh Jackson, like, oh, he's such a good offensive coordinator. He's such a good offensive mind. He'll be really good for Baker Mayfield. So I was just really surprised to see that he flamed out like he did Freddie Kitchens. We a really good offensive coordinator, Cleveland's offense. I mean, that's why they had the expectations that they did last year to make the playoffs, if not make the Super Bowl, with the roster that they did because it featured OBJ and Jarvis Landry and all that. But Anthony Lynn, really good offensive coordinator. He was a coordinator for the Bills back when LaShawn McCoy was the feature back there, and they you know held up with teams even though they didn't have the best receiving core in those situations. So I was just really surprised. But the thing that I think did him in is that they lost forty to nothing to the Patriots, and even though he has a winning record as a head coach, I think a good like a good test for head coaches is if you can hang with Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson. I um, even though the Eagles kind of sucked this year, and everyone's kind of questioning him because of the potential tanking situation, depending on how you look at that. The other week between the last week seventeen game with the with the Washington football team. Versus the Eagles, where Jalen Hurts was in for most of the game. I'm not really. I'm going to talk about that situation a little bit later. But Doug Peterson in the Super Bowl matchup with the Eagles versus the Patriots, he took and allowed Nick Foles to match Brady score for score and end up winning the game just narrowly. So there's him. I mean Sean McVay. I really like as a head coach. He's really good. He's got a lot of respect around the league. Got schooled by Bill Belichick. So to me, he's not in that upper elite, like I said, you have to be able to compete with Bill Belichick while the Patriots were in their dynasty prime. But I think that Anthony Lynn pretty much showed that, you know, if you can't hang, like, cause that's going to be even the, I mean, the Patriots this year, they're just not what they were. And that's pretty obvious because they didn't win the division like they normally do. And they went negative like they don't normally do um, in their record. So the fact that they lost 40, nothing with them, that's pretty much—that probably put the nails in the coffin for Anthony Lynn. So even though—I mean, you could do a lot of good things, but if you know if you can't manage a team, even if you have a good scheme for your offense, you're not going to last as a head coach in the NFL. So I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, sorry for Anthony Lynn. He seems like a good guy. Um, people seem to like and respect him, but you've got to be able to hang with um, elite teams and coaches that are going to scheme to beat you. So it's just interesting to see how good coordinators can just be just terrible coaches. Yeah, I keep kind of bouncing back to this. It's funny how... Um, I mean, bouncing back to the Steelers, I mean, I think it's funny how, for a fan's perspective of players, I mean, changes so quickly in the NFL. So a couple of years ago, you had the Steelers feature A. P. and Juju in the passing game. And they both, I think, maybe had 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Ben Roethlisberger had a really good year. And it was so funny because then... That was when Antonio Brown started ha- acting up. He a lot of people call him a clown all the time because he would just do stupid shit off the field. He started he got in a fight with Ben Roethlisberger because Roethlisberger like called him out in the radio channel after one of the games and said he ran the wrong route, which led to an interception or something like that. And basically Antonio Brown was like, "Oh, well, if you think that, you know, I'm not that I don't think that Roethlisberger indicated that he wasn't that good, but Basically, Antonio Brown was very insulted and he was like, well, if you think that you can do this without me and you're the better player, then try and do it without me. And it was funny around that time because people like to attribute players off the field antics to how good of a player they are on the field. So I saw a lot of stuff saying, oh, Juju's better than AB, which again, another laughable statement by a lot of casual fans. It's like, yeah, Juju maybe at the time had been a more consistent player than AB, but He's not a better player, and he never was. So it was funny that they were like, oh, you know, he put up a 1,000-yard receiving season two. He's, like, people would say he's the low-key, the number one receiver. He never was. The people would roll coverage on defense toward Antonio Brown, which allowed Juju to have the season that he did. So when Antonio Brown left, Juju started playing, you know, his stats significantly dropped off, and... I would have predicted that, and anybody who really thinks things out logically should have been able to predict that. So um, now it's funny because then you have this this whole Tic Tac thing with Juju, and he's getting so much. I mean, he's getting dragged on Twitter and Instagram and all their social medias, which I'm totally here for because if you talk shit before a game and your team comes out flat, you're gonna get you're gonna get lit up by all these different commentators and sports talk shows and stuff because you can't do that. I mean. Your team's got to come out and play if you're going to talk that shit. But also the TikTok things. I mean, there's what they call bulletin board material. You don't do things that are going to intentionally antagonize the other team because they're going to play with a little more motivation. It's weird for me because I would like to hope and think that for the amount the players are getting paid and with their jobs in the line and all the things that go into them needing to play well to perform um, up to a certain standard to be able to earn their paycheck and not get cut... And continue to be re-signed for more and more money, that they would play with the same effort every game, but that's just not the case, and I'm not really sure why that is. I mean, some of it, like I said, has to do with coaching, but you don't want to give teams more reason to play their ass off versus you, so it's so funny how things have turned for Juju, because just a few years ago, he had been such a promising career as a young player, as a sidekick to Antonio Brown, just putting up a lot of yards and being a really good, reliable number two. And this season, he really hasn't played after that, uh, mostly because they're using him differently, which I'm not really sure if the offensive coordinator changed for the Steelers in the last few seasons or what happened because their offense used to be so explosive. Obviously, losing Antonio Brown is going to be a big factor that plays into that, but they got away from Steelers football, as I talked about earlier, but it's just really, really weird to see a player that starts off so well, then just things change so quickly. But... I, I don't really feel bad for Juju, but I, I also find it... I, I do find it a little entertaining, so I just kind of want to touch on that. So another thing that kind of happened recently is the Texans got a new GM. And I guess the owner called Deshaun Watson after he signed the GM, where Deshaun Watson was upset about this because he wanted to be talked to first and put into the decision as one of the factors that decides who's going to be hired as a GM because you want... I mean, Deshaun Watson plays exceptional. He's a franchise quarterback through and through. He basically carried the Texans. He was probably, like, one of the only handful of good players in their team that performed consistently for them this year. So he's justifiable in getting pissed off that that he wasn't factored into the decision-making as far as the GM, who's probably going to choose a head coach. I mean, since Bill O'Brien was fired and... I'm sure if you followed the NFL a little bit, you've heard all about how shit Bill O'Brien is and that whole situation, which I'm not going to go over because it's so well-documented. But Deshaun Watson now looks like he's going to be available for a trade. And if you're looking for a quarterback, for me, I say literally sell the farm for Deshaun Watson. If I'm the if I'm the Dolphins, I'm looking to trade for Deshaun Watson. If I'm the Steelers, because Roethlisberger's thinking about retiring, I'm looking to trade for Deshaun Watson. If I'm the Saints... I'm looking to trade for Deshaun Watson. Uh, The Jaguars, so you have, unless you have, no, I I lied. Not the Jaguars, and here's why, because they have the number one pick. And Trevor Lawrence is coming out, and everybody knows how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be. If you've heard anything about the draft, it's that he's probably going to go number one. And if he doesn't, it'll be a huge talking point for a lot of NFL uh, NFL heads, because he's just been so exceptional in college. He's the next Andrew Luck, is what they say. He's got the prototypical build. He's tall. He can throw. He can read defenses. He's got it all. So the Jaguars, not, not maybe, uh, maybe not, but, I mean, he's just so good. And the way I feel about it is a lot of these coaches and executives around the league seem to be so afraid to make blockbuster trades because they want to hang on to these picks so bad. They want the picks. So it's like—but then you also have teams that are too aggressive um, when they make trades and stuff like that and end up overspending, and the picks probably would have been good. And here's an example in the Seahawks trade for Jamal Adams. I think they traded, like, two first-round picks— their starting safety, um, strong safety, Bradley McDougal, who was just a solid player, average, not exceptional. So they got Jamal Items to kind of help them out, and they figured he was going to be like the final piece to make their defense good again compared to what it was like um, in 2012 through 2015 with the Legion of Boom. If you're not familiar with that, then you definitely need to go back and watch some of the games because they were just a crazy good defense to watch. It was super, super fun hard-hitting, good football. Richard Sherman, when he was in the Seahawks, Earl Thomas, when he was in the Seahawks at the time, and Cam Chancellor made up the Legion of Boom, and they won that Super Bowl versus the Broncos, and Peyton Manning, who were like the number one, who were maybe who led one of the best offenses of NFL history and just completely blew them out of the water in the Super Bowl. But coming back to what I was saying, Seahawks just gave up way too much for Jamal Adams. And... You know, there's certain players that are worth two first round picks. The Raiders when John Gruden first came there, they traded he Khalil Mack was going to ask for a lot of money cuz he's a really really good pass rusher. And the thing with the Raiders is when they came, I mean when John Gruden first got hired, he's like, you know, you want to build a team. Their team wasn't so great at the time. You you have star players that you definitely want to keep in the building sometimes but there's also a certain amount of money that's just too much and if your roster overall is bad sometimes you need to allocate some of those funds to different positions to make your team overall better and having one star player sometimes helps i mean jj watt carried houston for a bunch of years um even took him to a wild card with a solid defense but he was just like the the, uh center factor that the driving force that carried them because, I mean, it's every game he's getting, you know, two sacks, a forced fumble, bad passes that are intercepted, sometimes pick sixes. He had a pick six, again, from the Bills fan uh, nightmare experience in the past. He took one of E.J. Manuel's interceptions for a touchdown. Um, but, you know, there are certain players that are, I mean, I, I'm going to reference the Bills a lot because I know all about them because I followed their team. But the Bills traded for Stefan Diggs. They traded a first round pick, a fourth-round pick, and, um, and even more. And it was worth it because Stephon Diggs played out great. Now, they could have kept their draft position and taken Justin Jefferson, but the leadership that Stephon Diggs brought and the energy that he brings every week I think played out better for them than it would have been taking Justin Jefferson, even though Justin Jefferson has got on a rookie contract. He's obviously younger because he just came out this year. And... Basically, the point I'm making here is that if you have a player that you know that has proven that they're good in the league, you have to you have to make the moves for them. Because you don't know with players that are coming out in the draft. Because some players just flop. I mean, when the Bills drafted Josh Allen, number seven, I was driving home, I was at a track meet, and um I was in the bus, and I had my predictions that I was kind of following for what I thought the draft was going to look like. There was talks. I mean, that that was really before I started kind of reading into the draft too much, so I didn't really know much about the players that were coming out. So when Josh Allen got taken, all I had really known, I didn't really know anything about him. But what I did know about Josh Rosen is that he was very well-liked among NFL circles, and I had seen he posted a video um, talking about how he said he would fit in with the Bills. And the thing with the Bills is that their fan base is so um, intertwined with the players that you got to have players that appreciate and acknowledge the fans. And especially with how bad they've been the last few years, now that they're good, you want your players to be able to be like, yeah, we appreciate the fans that have been here through the tough times, and we kind of can have some fun. With the Bills Mafia. So when Josh Rosen said he was like, Yeah, I would totally not mind going to Buffalo, a lot of players would be like, No, I don't really want to go to Buffalo because of the cold and because they've been they had bad culture for a while where they just were losing bad football team for many years. So that was my that was my knowledge on Josh Rosen. So when the Bills took Josh Allen, I was so pissed. I was like, I can't believe they did that. This is just gonna work another Bills move. Not smart. I don't, but I didn't really know anything about Josh Allen. So that was really before I started kind of reading in more to the draft, like I said. But what I'm making here is this the fact that I was mad that the Bills took Josh Allen instead of Josh Rosen just shows how you can just be so wrong in the draft. You can completely whiff on a pick. I mean, Josh Rosen then went to trade the Cardinals straight up and took him, number 10, I believe. And then The next year, they traded him away and took Kyler Murray first overall, which surprised me and a lot of other people because you don't usually see a team give up on a quarterback. They took top 10 the year before. But my point is that you can just whiff on players in the draft because it's so hard to analyze players um, coming out of college and to predict what their impact is going to be in the NFL. Usually, players that go in the top five Just, you know that they're going to be good. The expectation is that they're going to be really good starters for a long time. I mean, like, no-brainers. Like I said, Andrew Luck, number one overall. Chase Young, number one overall pick. You know they're going to be good. So it's rare when you whiff on picks that are top five, but it does happen. So my point is you want to take the proven commodity. So there's players that are coming up in the draft. Justin Fields should be really good. That one is going to be kind of more of those no-brainers where you know they're going to be good. But there's some other developmental players that, are, that you know, have been playing good, but you don't know what's going to happen. You know Deshaun Watson is going to play at a pro bowl, if not all pro level, because he's proven that with literally no help. Especially this year is a great example of the no help portion of that. If you have the opportunity, if you think that you can trade for Deshaun Watson, go get him. I urge NFL teams to go trade for the quarterback that you know can play. I mean, even the Jets. I would love nothing more than the Jets to suck forever because I hate Jets fans. I do. I would love to see their team just be a dumpster fire, continue to just be a just an awful franchise that no one wants to go to, that they trade away good players because like, for, like Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams don't want to be there because they just suck and they minimize their players' talents because they don't know how to coach and they've just or they fire their coach after a year or two pretty consistently. But just go get that good quarterback. Because if you don't have that number one pick, if you don't have that surefire guy in the draft, if you don't have a plan, plenty of people have said, um, if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. And I firmly stand by that, especially when it comes to offseason. I mean, teams that aren't in the playoffs right now, if you're not in the playoffs, you have to be looking going, okay, we're not a playoff team. Why aren't we a playoff team? What do we need to be a playoff team? What are we missing? And a great example of a team that should know exactly what they're looking for is the Bengals. You have a quarterback that came out really good. They took Joe Burrow number one, exceptional year until he got injured. Their offensive line sucked so bad. It was just everyone was going. It's a matter of time before he gets injured. And lo and behold, he did get injured. He tore his ACL and I think his MCL too. If you don't have a good offensive line, you throw a rookie quarterback out there. That's not going to be... Good for. I mean, it's just a bad, bad look because th- you're gonna get them injured. They're not gonna play well. But the problem is, it's kind of a catch-22 because if your team's bad, usually you're picking top five and you have that rookie quarterback. So your offensive line is usually gonna be bad because it's rare you see teams with really good offensive lines lose a lot of games because you can pretty much dictate. I mean, if your coordinator's not just awful and you have a good line, you can you can run the ball and you can pass the ball. If your guys can't get open, you have a little extra time. You can run the ball, control the game. Good offensive line. There's You just don't see good teams with bad offensive lines, Because at least last in the playoffs. I mean, you, you have good teams that have bad lines. The Bucks, for example, I'm really interested to see what happens between the Saints and the Buccaneers this weekend, because Tom Brady has been shown this year that if you get pressure in his face and you force him to move off his spot, he's not good, and even though he's one of the greatest of all time, plenty of people will call him the GOAT, if you get pressure, he's going to play bad, and he's not going to be comfortable all game. And the Saints have a really good D-line. Cameron Jordan's really good. Trey Hendrickson had a really good year. Sheldon Rankin's a really good defensive tackle. I think he might have gotten hurt, but they have some other... They have a they have good D-line depth. I can't name them all, but I've, I've watched their games, and I know that they are they can play. So I'm really interested to see what happens there um, with that game. It's going to be a great matchup. But... I mean, even Drew Brees, you get hit in his face, pressure off the middle, short quarterbacks do not do well. Um, Not suggesting that Tom Brady is a short quarterback either. I'm kind of drawn away from that. But for Drew Brees, if you get in his face and you take away, he likes to pass for the middle. He's been a pinpoint passer between the hashes for basically his entire career. So pressure is huge. And if your offensive line is bad, you need to work on that. So teams for the offseason plans, um, you got to know what you need. I would actually, even though again, because the Dolphins are in the Bills division, I would love to see them do bad for a while too. I there's been talks that they could trade Tua for uh, for Deshaun Watson. So the reason why the Texans are even in the market for trading Deshaun Watson is because their team overall sucks. They don't have a first round pick. They don't have a second round pick next year. And here's why: because Bill O'Brien sucks, and he traded both of those picks for a tackle. Laramie Tunsil, who's really good, but you could probably wait a year and draft an offensive tackle other than trading and pretty much risking your entire future as far as the draft for one player. I mean, you want to protect Deshaun Watson. He needed help. The offensive tackle did help. Laramie Tunsil played pretty well, but now there's other things, like there's other holes you need to fill on your team, and they're not in a good cap situation financially. They have a lot of players that are paying money to that just aren't producing. Randall Cobb, um, didn't really play well. Brandon Cooks played okay this year. I mean, he he gets injured a fair fair amount. I'm not going to take you through the entire Texans roster, but they're overpaying a lot of guys who just didn't play well this year. So Deshaun Watson wants to get out of that situation because there's really going to be no help for him. They're going to be bad for a couple years. They need to completely rebuild. So Deshaun Watson's going to need a contract. He's going to need to be paid a lot of money. And he doesn't want to hang around for a bad team, and I don't blame him because he's played so good. It's not fair to him to just have a shit team around him and have him be dragged down and not be able to produce in the NFL because his team's just bad. And that has no, there was nothing that he could have done to change any of that. But I would, I wouldn't even be mad if I saw it because, like, I love good offensive football. I don't like when teams play good against the Bills. If the Texans traded Deshaun Watson to Miami for Tua, I would be happy for Miami because they would be a Super Bowl contender. Brian Flores is a really good coach. Their defense was lights out this year. Their defense basically carried them to a potential playoff berth, which you is just really rare that your offense pretty much produces nothing. Well, I was actually really surprised when they benched Fitzpatrick because you would think that they would have known that Tua could play at that point if you're going to bench your veteran quarterback and throw your rookie out into the fire. Because Tua just didn't play well. I think if they kept Fitzpatrick in, they're probably they probably were um, in the wild card round. Whether they won it or not is one thing, because Fitzpatrick has been prone to making um, game breaking mistakes with the game on the line. But Tua just didn't play well. He surprises me because oh, he's actually another great example. He played really really well in college at Alabama. Alabama is just a powerhouse team. That's it. everybody that watches college football knows Alabama's just got a really good program. So his comparisons for Tua, I mean, coming out of college, were like Drew Brees. He was a shorter quarterback. He's really, really accurate. Can kinda you, you need a plan um, that he can throw from the pocket. He's a little bit mobile, so he can do some of those things. But what I realized this year watching him play, I okay, there's a chance that Tua develops into a really good quarterback. So I'm kind of being a little bit hypocritical by making this prediction, but I don't think he's gonna pan out in the NFL. I don't. It just seems like every ball he throws floats in the air, a lot like Philip Rivers. But the difference between Philip Rivers is that Tua was taken number five overall, and he's a rookie. Philip Rivers is probably going to retire after this year. He's old. His arm strength should be pretty much dwindling down because that's how it works in the NFL. When you're you know near forty years old, you're not going to be able to throw as well as you could when you were younger. So the fact that Tua just seems like it's just like a lollipop throw all the time. His ball is just hanging in the air. I'm Actually, every time he throws the ball, I like hold my breath. I'm like, I. it seems like every time he throws it, it's like a tight throw contested catch because he can't seem to, um, either he can't find the open receiver or he's throwing it late, which tends to be things that happen with rookies. But I mean, he's accurate, I suppose, as far as getting the ball in a position where the player is able to catch it somewhat. But his passes just don't really have a lot of velocity from what I've seen this year. And that might improve with, being more confident and comfortable in the offense. Chan Yaley, their offensive coordinator, was released after the after the Week 17 game where Tua just played like shit. The Bills blew them out of the water. It was like um, something about like 30. The Billsmen had 30 at halftime, and they rested their starters. And then their backups came in and shit all over the Dolphins. But Tua couldn't even move the ball. Normally what happens when you have a big lead, if you're up by like 20 points or more, that it's easy to get yards. They call it garbage time yards because the defense is basically playing to not give up touchdowns. They'll give you anything between like 5, 10, 15, sometimes even 20-yard completions as long as they don't give up a touchdown and they tackle you inbounds to keep the clock moving. So the fact that Tua couldn't even move the ball in garbage time really says a lot to me. So there's a, potent, there's a chance that he was just being held back by Chan Gailey or... In my opinion, what seems the more likely situation was that Chan Gailey was hiding the fact that Tua's not very good. And he was trying to just, They I mean, they ran a screen when it seemed like every other play. Whether it was a running back screen out of the backfield. If you're not familiar with the screen, what that means is um, it's a pass play where you'll have a designed area of the field that the a running or a players are going to get the ball and have a lot of blockers in front of them. So usually what will happen is um, a running back screen, what it will look like is you'll have the quarterback take the snap and drag back, and all of the offensive line will block for like a, a second or two and make it look like they got beat in the play and then run out kind of laterally to one other side of the field or the other. And then the running back will sneak out behind them, and the defensive line is like, oh, here we go. I'm about to get a sack. I I, I just beat this guy really bad, and they think they're going to get the quarterback, and all of a sudden the quarterback just drops the ball right over their head to the uh, the running back, and the offensive line has got to You know they got a parade of blockers, and they just go down the field for a big gain, Um, or a wide receiver screen, what they'll call a tunnel screen. Is you'll have like the tackle and the um, and the inside receivers block um, right off the snap, and the outside receiver, outside most receiver, will right off the snap run inside and kind of go a little bit backwards, catch a ball, and they kind of have like a uh, what they call a tunnel, um, hence the name tunnel screen, where they can go, and they just ran screens like that constantly. Um, or they ran like a little RPO run pass option, um, where they gave Tua a chance to get get out on the edge of the field and um, you know maybe make a play in the perimeter because he was good throwing the ball on the run. But Tua just didn't look very good. So again, you're it's it's I'm not going to say it's likely that you miss on quarterbacks in the draft because there's some that you know you're going to hit, but if you have a player like Deshaun Watson out there, go get him. Just, I mean, he would make Miami a Super Bowl contender immediately. He would probably single-handedly save the Jets franchise as long as they got some other picks, which they have a decent amount of picks that they can use um, in good positions because they suck so bad. They think they have a number two overall pick, so you know the draft is just iffy. But if you if you know there's a player out there, go get him. Some of these executives are just so like tight, and with their picks, it's just like you 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 might not hit on the pick. I mean, you have Corey Davis. I think he was taken like five or six receiver for the Titans a few years ago, and he just hasn't really done anything for them, basically ever. I mean, he had a couple of good games or a stretch where he and A.J. Brown made a formidable duo, but I mean, he was hurt for the Titans game um, versus the, the Ravens, so I guess I, I can't throw all my weight behind my argument there. I don't know. I mean, players that are drafted top 10, you whiff on them all the time. So if you know there's a player out there that's unhappy, just just trade for him players are, it just pisses me off sometimes how teams are so afraid to make a trade cuz you know if you know the player is good just do it because the draft guy might not be good and this year it's going to be so i think there's going to be so many big whiffs in the draft this year because there's plenty of players that opted out for because of covid so there's not like a ton of tape behind them that NFL executives can look back and these scouts can go, okay, this player's going to be really good, or he's not going to be really good. Princess instance, Mitch Trubisky, right? Mitch Trubisky was taken... The Bears traded up from number three to number two overall to take Mitch Trubisky, ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. That's a great example, because <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, and I know I said earlier that a player doesn't suck, Mitch Trubisky fucking sucks. He's so bad. He can make every throw in the book. Don't get me wrong, he can. But... That's under perfect circumstances. If a player is wide open, he'll probably hit him. But if he has to make a difficult read and/or make a difficult throw, he might throw a pick, or he might just throw the ball out of bounds or miss the throw because he's just not a consistent quarterback. So it's just so funny to see because you have players like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes who are just leaps and bounds. I mean, probably top. I mean, Patrick Mahomes obviously top five. Deshaun Watson, if not top five, top ten. And you took Mitch Trubisky over them. It just goes to show that the draft is really just a guessing game. You don't know what the fuck you're gonna get. And if you know someone's good, go trade for them because if that's what you're missing, quarterback, the most position or most important position in the NFL. Basically, everyone knows that. And if you don't, you're lying to yourself. Go get that player, man. Just, just do it. So that pretty much wraps things up. That's really all I wanted to talk about. I've gotten over an hour here down. This has kind of been like a little bit word vomit. Um, As far as my thoughts, I kind of went over a few topics, kind of came back to other things. I'm going to have to edit this and cut out all the ums and uhs that I had. I think that I kind of gained some traction as I went along as far as my comfort level doing this podcast. It's a little bit weird because when I talk sports with another person, it's so much easier to be able to kind of continue a conversation and follow along with what I'm saying. Whereas I'm just looking at my computer screen here. So it's not as if there's a person in front of me that I'm able to have that kind of conversational tone with when I'm talking. So it's a little bit different. So I'm like basically what I'm saying is um, bear with me for a little bit. I think the podcast is going to get better as it goes along. Hopefully my ideas will be more cohesive. I might script a little better as far as what I'm going to plan to say. Because I just kind of went off a couple of different cues of things that I want to talk about or things that I saw around the league that, that interested me. But I'm going to talk about, I've been really talking about the Bills and the Browns a lot. But as this goes on, I really want to talk about all the NFL teams. I, I'm gonna do a little I'm gonna do a segment um, at some point where I talk about what teams need to do, what their offseason plans should be, um, what their options are out there to make them good in the future. I want to talk about, I mean, really, I had a plans to go over every single NFL team and kind of grade each team before they entered the playoffs, offense and defense. Didn't really have time to do that between work. It's been a little bit tough. And also just the fact that starting a podcast was kind of a lot that I didn't really give myself a lot of time for, but I'm not going to drag this part out. I hope everyone liked it. I, send me some feedback. Um, text me, message me, whatever. I'm going to s- try and send this to basically everyone that I know to listen to it. If you listen to the whole thing, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, I really hope everyone liked it. And you know, if, if you liked it, stick with me because I hope that we're going to get a lot better here and I'm confident that, uh, that we can get something really good going here and try and get some good football talk. If you like, if you like football talk, that's why you're here. That's what I'm going to bring some good content coming forward. So um, thanks again, guys, for checking this out and be back with the next episode, hopefully pretty soon here.